Boom! Shake the room, Fire Nation. JLD here with an audio masterclass on the art of the $100 million exit. To drop this value bomb, I brought Moise Ali on the mic. He's the founder of Native, the fastest growing CPG company in the United States. The company was acquired by Procter & Gamble for $100 million back in 2017. And Fire Nation, quick note, I actually use Native deodorants for a lot of awesome reasons, mostly because it smells great and has none of those icky chemicals. So wanted to bring Moise on because it's quite a story. And as you know, I love bringing on success stories. We're going to start off by talking about the hardest moment in the history of Native. We're also going to talk about the differences between scaling a $1 to $10 million company and a $10 to $100 million company and the things that has Moise's interest peaked right now, which is pretty interesting, and so much more as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase your profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Schedule your free consultation today with Clay Clark at thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. Thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. Don't believe you can actually love what you do for work? Oh, you can. And my good friends and top marketing experts, Nick Unsworth and Brian Delaney, will show you how. Get instant access to their 90-minute training plus seven-figure playbook and resources on how to turn your passion into a profitable business at launchandscalenow.com. Moise, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. What's up, Fire Nation? Um, Okay, the thing that most people don't know about me is in the third grade, uh, I used to walk to school every day and walk home every day. Um, And one day on the walk home, uh, I was walking through a parking lot of uh, the JCC, which is right across the street from my house, and a car uh, hit me on my right knee and like um, drove away. And so my friends carried me to their house because I couldn't get into my own house and um, took care of me until my parents came and basically, uh, you know, tended to my knee. And it was like shattered and bleeding. I was in the third grade and I was like terrified of what had just happened. And it looked, you know, it felt like the car was going 50 miles an hour. It was probably going like seven miles an hour. But still, man, I wish that there had been like security cameras of the parking lot because that hit and run, man, that person should go to jail. Come on. Yeah, they should. I mean, they were an old person, and ultimately it turned Even out to be so okay. Much but you're, you're right. Like, that is a really dangerous, scary thing from a, from a third grade perspective. Well, anyways, Fire Nation, we're going to move on from that, I guess you could call it, interesting thing that happened to Moise. And we're going to talk about the art of the $100 million exit. And I love on Entrepreneurs on Fire, Moise, talking about the biggest struggles entrepreneurs have faced. I mean, obviously, you've had massive successes, but what was the hardest moment in the history of Native? Like, take us to that moment, Moise. I think the hardest moment was probably um, about eight months into the business. 
uh, it was the first summer, it was the beginning of the first summer that we were operating. It was the summer of 2016. So it was basically April, May, a- a- April of 2016. And first off, real quick, just kind of for Fire Nation that may not know what Native is and does, give us just a 10 second breakdown of that, then move into the story. Great point. So Native is a direct-to-consumer personal care company. We make safe, effective, non-toxic products that adults use in the bathroom every day. Um, so think deodorant, think toothpaste, think body wash, think bar soap. Um, our first product uh, was a deodorant. And in fact, until we so- sold the business in 2017 to Procter & Gamble, our only product was a deodorant. Focus. And so um, early on in the business, and like uh, you know, we started the business in um, late 2015. Uh, the first summer that we were operating was really 2016. And what happened is that um, I was at our fulfillment facility sort of checking out all the deodorants and making sure everything was operating well. And I picked up one of the deodorants and it looked weird. This was in April 2016. Um, and I opened it up and I put my finger in it and it went all the way to the bottom. The deodorant had turned into like lotion oh. on the on route from like our manufacturing facility to our fulfillment facility. And all of the, you know, several thousand deodorants that we had in inventory had been sold. Um, I, I'm sorry, had been, uh, had melted along, uh, along the route and they'd already been spoken for. We basically sold all these deodorants and they were about to ship out, but instead we couldn't ship anything out because the deodorants had gone bad. And so, um, you know, we were probably doing around $50,000 in revenue a month at this point. And I was just like, um, I think this business is over. Ooh. Like our formula does not, our formula doesn't hold up to being able to ship just to our fulfillment facility. Forget about shipping our formula to Texas or Arizona or you know Utah in the summer. We can't even hold it uh, in a stable format. And so the business, I, I was like, you know what? This business may be over. over. Like the, the deodorant formula is really hard to get right. Um, certainly really hard to do it in like, a, you know, uh, in the press of a button or in a really quick time period. We'd been working on a different formula and we're just like, we got to launch this. Either we got to close up the business or launch this new formula that we think is not ready yet. Um, and ultimately what we did was we just launched the new formula and um, it was either that or sort of close up shop. Oof. And when we launched the new formula, our reviews went up by almost a full star. Our repeat purchase rate went up from about 25% to north, to north of 45% in the first four months. And so we're like, oh, instead of like this killing the business, this is actually going to make the business much, much larger. So they've been around Fire Nation since 2015. As I actually kind of shared, Moise, in the intro, that I actually have bought, um, deodorant from Native in my bathroom drawer right now. I, I love the coconut flavor one. Coconut and vanilla smells great. It is great. I had never, ever heard about this company until about six months ago. And why did I hear about it? Because you guys started really sponsoring a lot of podcasts. And guess what? It worked. My favorite podcast was sponsored by Native. And I'm like, I want to support this host. And I love the idea of non-toxic deodorants. And so now I'm hooked. You know, I'm, I'm using Native. I don't see why I wouldn't going forward in the future because um, it's exactly what I was looking for, exactly what I need. But one thing that you did, Moise, that was pretty unique was that you chose not to raise much capital. Why did you make that choice? And how did you make it work? Uh, well, first, let me start off by saying thank you for you know supporting yeah. our small brand and not just the podcast. Really appreciate that. Like um, you're right, we are advertising a lot on podcasts these days, and uh, we're very grateful for customers like you that sort of discover us through those totally. podcasts. Um, but, uh, going back to your question, which is why we didn't raise a lot of money, um, the reality was uh, two things. One. Um, the business was growing really quickly and really well. Um, so, you know, I, I talked about how in April 2016, we did 50 or $60,000 in revenue. 
Um, by June of 2016, we did about $250,000 in revenue a month. By November 2016, we did a million dollars in revenue a month. So we were like um, increasing the size of the business really quickly without fundraising. Um, and that was pretty fantastic. And we were doing it profitably as well. Like, um, you know, every month we actually made money. And so we, uh, like one, I guess like the, the, the number one reason we didn't raise money is because I wasn't sure what we would do with the money if we raised it. If someone gave me one or five or $10 million to increase the size of the business. You could have sponsored podcasts earlier. <laughs> yeah, we could have sponsored podcasts earlier. The honest answer is that we would have needed a team in order to do that. We would have totally. had to have, like sort of shift the focus that we had in order to say, okay, we're going to diversify our marketing strategy early on. And early on, what we had was a, a flywheel effect that was actually working. We uh, Customers would buy our product, tell their wives, tell their mothers, tell their daughters, um, and, and like sort of spread the word about native organically. And so we wanted to foster that flywheel effect. And that was really the focus of our, uh, of our marketing efforts. It wasn't necessarily podcasts and television ads and out of home billboards that we're doing today. And, and so really it was, um, what we had was working. And so we didn't need to, uh, raise money. And then the, the flip side of that coin is we wanted to be in control of our own destiny. Um, you know, as we were growing the business, I'd heard all of these horror stories about businesses who needed to accelerate their marketing and accelerate their top line growth as a result of having fundraise and as a result of having certain benchmarks that they wanted to hit. Um, and that really took the founders, uh, like it, it took away the founders control of their own destiny. Now, all of a sudden they needed to spend a bunch of money on marketing in order to make the business larger. That money wasn't well spent. And as a result, they needed to raise more money in order to continue that flywheel effect. And pretty soon they were in a situation where they didn't control their own business, where they didn't control their own destiny. And I didn't want to be a part of that. Um, and, and, you know, I'll give you an example. We, we thought about fundraising and we actually spoke to a bunch of venture capital firms here in San Francisco, which is where we were based. And, um, you know, one VC fund said, Hey, we'll give you, um, $3 million at a $30 million valuation, or we'll give you $30 million at a $300 million valuation. Wow. We're willing to sign either of those term sheets. But if you take the $30 million, you're going to have to work here for five more years and try and sell this business for $500 to $750 million. If you take the $3 million, you know, you can work here for another 12 to 24 months, sell the business and everyone will go home happy. So uh, both of those are your options. And that's crazy, right? Well, my business could be either worth $30 million or $300 million. Um, and in reality, I was like, you know what, I don't want, I'm not sure what this business will look like five years from now. I'm not sure I can sell it for $750 million. Um, and, and so I don't want to take that route. And at the same time, I don't need $3 million. Like, I don't know what I would do with $3 million. And so I'm not going to take any money. From it. Let me kind of break this down for you. Step number one, make a great product. That's the key. Cause guess what happened with Moise? They made a great product. Obviously it wasn't perfect. They had their issues as we've already talked about, but when people used it, they told their friends, they told their family, they told their loved ones. That organic growth allowed them to get to where they are today, which of course was being acquired by Procter & Gamble for $100 million back in 2017. So let's talk quickly, Moise, about the major differences between scaling from, let's say, between a $1 to a $10 million company that has that type of revenue to a company that's generating 10 to $100 million per year. So on that annual basis, what are the differences in scaling those two different kinds of companies? Yeah, I think from a $1 to $10 million business, um, as a founder, you're incredibly hands-on wearing multiple hats and, uh, you know, really the backbone of all of that growth. Um, you know, when we hired our first employee after we had our first $250,000 month. So we were sort of on a $3 million run rate uh, before we hired our first employee. 
Uh, and so from one to 10, it's really in the founder's hands to sort of find product market fit, find some marketing channels that will work, hire a lean team to do what you like, just don't have enough hours in the day to do. Um, you know, early for the first year of the business, I was the only employee. Um, so I was, you know, uh, running uh, advertisements during the day, answering customer service emails during the day, um, making sure our operations were succeeding and sort of we were making enough product and getting it to our fulfillment facility during the day. And at night, uh, I was actually packing and shipping boxes myself. And, and so from like, like from a one to $10 million phase, you're the backbone and sole, uh, you know, sole reason or like, uh, not the sole reason, but one of the main, like the important reason that the company is growing. And it requires a lot of hands on work. Like, you know, I could tell you all the uh, the products that we'd sold the day before I was running the, I was, you know, manually doing the P and L at the end of the month. Um, I, I was sort of, I, I had my hands in every single aspect of the business and really deep inside every single aspect of the business from 10 to a hundred million dollars. It really shifts really from uh, 30 to a hundred million dollars. It, it really shifts uh, where you start hiring team where you hire, hire teams in order to execute your vision. Like there's no way you're going to be singularly responsible for a $50 million direct consumer business. It's just impossible. You need a really good director of operations in order to make sure that your product is being shipped to your fulfillment facility. You're on top of your inventory. You're not making too much or too little, that it's not constraining too much of your cash flow. You're going to hire a director of marketing to diversify channels. You don't want to be reliant on a single channel any longer. You want to be doing podcasts. You want to be doing Facebook ads, out of home ads, YouTube ads, television ads. And as a result, you're not going to be able to be the master of all of those uh, different channels of customer acquisition. And so from 30 to $100 million, it really shifts from you doing everything to you hiring um, a team of people who can help you do everything. And particularly a couple incredible lieutenants who can... Um, you, you know, who you can trust to uh, do things and sort of not have any agency costs. And I think that's, that's the major shift between one and 10 and 10 to 100. There's other shifts as well. There's other things that you have to start thinking about. You know, your cash flow becomes very different. Your um, inventory become like grows by an order of magnitude, if not more than that. Um, your for, you, know, you know, forecasting all of a sudden becomes really important. If you're running a you know two million dollar a year business, you have a good idea of what your uh, next month's demand is going to be this month, no matter what. If you're running a seventy five million dollar a year business, you know there's a lot of third parties now you're interacting with, a lot of different manufacturers, possibly different retailers. We sell into Target, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, and a bunch of other retailers at this point, and, and, and so all of a sudden, you need to have a much more holistic view of the business rather than getting your hands too deep in one aspect. Fire Nation, we have a lot to talk with Moyes about. We're going to talk about what his day looks like. We're going to talk about his routines, what his focuses are. What are a few things that he looks for in founders when he's actually investing his own money and what's actually piquing his interest in specific sectors and companies right now? It's all going to happen as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. Picture this. You've just figured out how to turn your passion into a profitable business. You love what you do for work. You're impacting the world and you have the freedom to enjoy your life the way you want to. Want to learn how to get there? My good friends and top marketing experts, Nick Unsworth and Brian Delaney, created a free training where they're sharing exactly how you can launch and scale your expertise to the world, quickly create and launch the perfect high fee offer, and the exact steps to create a sales funnel right 
right out of the gates. Plus, when you sign up today, you'll also gain access to their seven-figure playbook free. Inside the playbook, you'll find brand new funnels, scripts, and word-for-word copy that they've used to help their clients generate seven and even eight figures in revenue. That means you don't have to start from scratch or recreate the wheel when it comes to a solid start in your marketing strategy. Visit launchandscalenow.com today to sign up for their free training. That's launchandscalenow.com. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase their profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Fire Nation, meet Clay Clark. Clay has been coaching businesses just like yours since 2006. Yep, even through the Great Recession. And he does it for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee. At a time when Inc. Magazine reports that by default, 96% of businesses will fail within 10 years, Clay is helping businesses like yours to grow on average by 104% annually. You might be wondering, how's this even possible? Well, Clay only takes on 160 clients, which means he's able to personally design your business plan. Plus, Clay's team helps you execute that plan with access to graphic designers, Google certified search engine optimizers, web developers, online advertising managers, videographers, workflow mappers, and accounting coaches to help you get on top of your numbers. Visit thrivetimeshow.com slash fire to see thousands of video testimonials from real clients who Clay has helped over the years. Then schedule your free consultation with Clay himself to see how he and his team can help you thrive. That's thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. So Moise, we're back and we got some things to talk about, brother. I want to know today, I mean, you sold this company back in 2017. We're talking two and a half, three years later now. What does your day look like currently? What are these routines that you stick to day in and day out? And what are you focused on right now? I sold the business in November 2017. I actually stayed on as CEO of the business until January 2020. So just left about uh, two months ago at Ooh, this point. pretty fresh. Um, yeah, it, it has been very fresh. And so um, my routine has changed a ton, as you can possibly, as you can imagine. Um, it went from, you know, worrying about the business day and night to not really worrying about the business day and night. But I feel like um, I've really stayed in the industry, the direct-to-consumer industry and the e-commerce industry. I feel like um, it's an industry that I'm passionate about and that I've been in for a long time. Like I started my first direct-to-consumer business in 2012. So I'm like a dinosaur when it comes to these types of businesses. Um, And and these days, like, you know, I I was hoping to do a bunch of traveling and sort of relax uh, after I left the business. Hasn't really been able, I haven't really been able to do that as a result of the coronavirus and sort of traveling, sort of being, um, in fact, I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm quarantining myself. (laughs) Uh, And so now uh, it's a bunch of like talking to -to direct-to-consumer businesses and advising them on ways that I think that they can be growing, um, sort of advising them on the, on the, um, on the challenges they may be facing in the short term, particularly as a result of coronavirus and sort of like whether their operations or manufacturing are shut down or whether they're continuing to grow. Um, and, and then it's a lot of like, um, you know, personal uh, growth with all the things that I've wanted to do, all the things that I've wanted to do over the last like five years that I haven't been able to as a result of running a business. I'm doing master classes. I'm reading a ton of books. Uh, all of which I hope will change once these quarantine restrictions are lifted. You know, I just got to ask, like, what's one or two of the best books you've read over the past, like, two to four to six months? Bob Iger's book. He's the CEO of Disney. He wrote this book called The Ride of a Lifetime, um, and it is spectacular. He talks about how when he was, like, COO of Disney, 
Um, you know, it, it, things were really uh, like he wasn't able to make the decisions that he wanted to. And then when he became CEO, um, you know, he was sitting at a Disney parade one day and he sees all these Disney characters sort of floating by in the parade. And he's like, all of the characters that we have that people love were made in the 90s. Like we're still talking about Lion King and Aladdin right. and Little Mermaid. And those were all like 1990s uh, characters. And like our IP is sort of um, expiring. We have not created amazing IP in the last 10 years. And so what he does is he goes on this amazing acquisition spree of companies that rejuvenate the, uh, the intellectual property that Disney's been lacking over the last two decades. So he buys Pixar from, and he talks about how he talks with Steve Jobs about like buying Pixar and how that deal happens. He buys Lucasfilm, he buys Marvel, he buys Fox, um, like incredible businesses. And he talks about his M&A strategy and how it revives um, the intellectual property. And once they have the intellectual property of Toy Story and Iron Man and, um, you know, Star Wars, they're able to create new, uh, new rides at their theme parks that are able to create new dolls, they're able to create new content. All of that as a result of uh, M&A. Um, and it's really spectacular. Um, so, so I think that's been my favorite book that I've read in the last six months, certainly. Um, What's another great book? Currently, I'm reading this book about like um, the guy who founded Bitcoin, uh, Ross Albright. Mm. It's called American, I think it's called like American Ninja or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm only halfway through it, but it's a really interesting story about how he's like a genuine entrepreneur. He's been starting businesses, trying to. I, I think he's been buying stocks since he was like 12 years old, um, and he's always been like you know just um, striking out and sort of not having any luck until the Silk Road comes around. Let's talk about things that you look for for founders when it comes to investing. I mean, you decided not to go down that route for the reasons that we talked. I mean, you had a choice to take 3 million, to take 30 million. You had all these different choices. You explained very eloquently and succinctly why you did not go down that path. But now you're in a flip position and you're open and willing when the right ones and companies and founders come along to invest. What do you look for? A lot of VCs will say early on that the thing, number one, the thing that they invest in is team and that like they're only investing in people. And I think there's some truth to that, but I don't think it's entirely true. Like, I, I do think that, there, uh, you know, um, the idea matters. Like, I, I, we, we started Native, which was a natural deodorant company back in 2015. We looked at a few things to make us make that decision. One is that uh, there was no natural deodorant business that was like, that, that had a lot of name brand recognition. There was no old spice of natural deodorant. Uh, nobody knew what natural deodorant to buy. Two, natural deodorant was the number one selling product on Etsy for a year in like 2013 mm. or something to that effect. And I was like, if all these people are trying to buy this product, don't know where to go to and are buying random products on Etsy, it probably makes sense that there could be a brand built around this. Yeah, there's like a woman in the backyard like dipping, like individually hand dipping deodorant and like goat's milk. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And then selling it at a farmer's market yeah. on Etsy and that's how she's making money. And there's enough people buying this that it's the number one pro pro number one selling category on Etsy. Wow. Like that, that's mind boggling. And then three, there was the rise of the better for you market, right? Like Whole Foods had really pioneered that for like in terms of better for you products that you put inside your body. And like, you know, over the 20, over the last decade, there's been a real revolution about better for you products that you put on your body. Mm. Um, and, and so like we were riding that trend. And so just in the same way that you switch from Coca-Cola to bottled water, we thought you'd make the switch from an, you know, an antiperspirant to a natural deodorant. And so I think like the idea was critical. Um, like, I don't think I could have started native in any other, like, you know, in 20 other industries in the same way that I don't think Mark Zuckerberg would have been a fantastic, you know, uh, creator of a next generation of like astro or like next generation space travel. 
he was a fantastic product genius when it came to Facebook, but I don't think he would have been the best space travel expert in the world. Like idea matters and the idea and the founder fitting together matter a lot. And so I think that there's some truth to you have to look at the team and then there's some truth to you have to look at what, the, what their idea and what their business is as well. Um, so I think those are the two things that I look at um, most. After that, I think it's like a speed to execution. Are you willing to like make, are, are you willing to like, um, you know, launch things that you're embarrassed by in order to, in order to get a data of, as to whether you have product market fit? If you're going to wait two and a half years to start your business or a year to start your business because you're waiting for everything to be perfect, that's a huge mistake. Native almost failed multiple times as a result of us not getting product market fit or not uh, as a result of our deodorant being not, like, not as good as it is today over the first year. Uh, but we were like, okay, you know what, this product, like we see some product market fit, we see people wanting this product, we may not have the right product today. But the way we're going to create the right product is to talk to our consumers and figure out what we're doing wrong, and then go fix that. We're not going to be able to necessarily fix it in a lab. Like the reason you know Coca-Cola is amazing is you've tasted it, not because some expert in a lab in Atlanta, Georgia has sort of told you, hey, Coca-Cola is amazing. And so we were like, you know what, we want our product in the hands of consumers. And so are other people willing to operate quickly in order to get their product to market and sort of make decisions afterwards? And then finally, I think about people who are willing to take feedback and sort of take it well. Like there are people who are going to be incredibly defensive no matter what you say. Like, you know, you could be like, look, um, I, I think that you're operating too slowly. I think this is what, uh, you know, I would change marketing from this perspective. And there's some people who are going to be like, no matter what, they're going to be like, let me be defensive and sort of instead of ex- sort of accepting feedback. And you don't always have to take my feed, like you don't have to take my feedback. You know, I didn't like our, our investors would tell us random things and I'd rarely take their feedback. They're like, why don't you try these different types of advertising? And I'm like, look, we have an eight person team when we sold the business. We're barely able to like do everything we want to do and know is super successful. We can't really experiment with 12 different types of marketing channels right now. And so, um, you know, if someone says to me, hey, Moise, I, I understand why that feedback, I understand why you're giving me that feedback, but let me tell you the constraints as to why I'm not mm. accepting that feedback. There's time, there's resources, there's costs, there's this is already working and this is what our big, or this is what our big bet is. I completely get that. But people who are like, no matter what, who are like, you know what, everything about my business is perfect. Anyone else who th- thinks about my business and ha- has any advice is completely wrong. Like that's a, that's a sign that you're not going to be uh, adaptable to consumers' needs, much less your investors. Like, forget your investors' needs. You're not going to be adaptable to your consumers' needs. And that's really like a nail in the coffin of me wanting to invest in businesses. Fire Nation, I mean, just break this down. You are running a business, you have a handful of people, and guess what? Most people listen to all these outside influences, and then what do they do? They do all these different things, they spread themselves thin, and then what suffers? The core product. The core product suffers. And as you heard Moy say, hey, people shared Native with their friends, with their family, with their loved ones, because it was what they were looking for, it was what they needed, and it was a good product. And, you know, he was always focused on making it better and better and better with his, you know, new processes and new systems and new ingredients, et cetera. But so many people, they take their eye off the prize and then the product suffers. And then guess what? No matter how good your marketing is, no matter how good X and Y and Z is, if your product's not amazing, forget about it. So get your product amazing. Other things can take care of themselves as you move forward. Now, just like you did in 2013, like you identified a market that needed servicing for many, many reasons. What is piquing your interest right now in 2020 as far as like sectors, companies to invest in, et cetera? You know, there's a lot of like random ideas that appear that like uh, ultimately become great ideas. And so I guess I don't limit myself to sectors. Uh, I do tend to invest a lot in the direct-to-consumer category and then the like 
um, software industries that support the direct to consumer uh, 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 direct to consumer community. So, for instance, I'm an uh, investor in a company called Gorgeous, which is like a customer service software platform built specifically for e-commerce companies, and it's fantastic. It basically does what like Mailchimp did to email, or really Clavio did to email for e-commerce companies. It does that to customer service companies. It makes it super easy to respond to customer service emails. You don't have to have fifteen. Your customer service team doesn't have to have eight tabs open in order to respond to questions. Instead, you can respond to questions like immediately inside Gorgeous. It tries to automate as many responses as possible and fill out those responses. So all you have to do is hit send. Um, it's really fantastic, and so I love businesses that sort of support e-commerce businesses in that way. Um, and I'm trying to invest in more of those types of businesses. Uh, but otherwise, I've been in, like, I, I think my most recent investment was um, a company called Pepper, which is um, a, a women's underwear company, basically, um, that, that's, that was founded by these two girls based in uh, out of NYU Business School. And they're fantastic. Like, you know, just seeing their evolution from being so green six months ago or eight months ago, whenever we sort of met and they started this business to today where they're like experts in e-commerce, understand the lingo and also understand what, what's important and what metrics they should be paying attention to and what metrics don't matter. Um, it's really been amazing uh, to sort of see that evolution. Um, so I've loved, uh, loved the e-commerce side of things and love the you know software that supports the e-commerce side of things. One of the other businesses I'm an investor in is a company called Postscript, which does like uh, SMS for e-commerce. Um, so imagine rather than sending out an email, you can send out a text message oh, for e-commerce companies. Um, and, and it's been fantastic because you can segment audiences. You can say, you know what? These are the people that have already ordered in the last 30 days. Let's not bother them with a the text message. They just got their native. But these people have not ordered in the last 180 days. And um, they ordered coconut and vanilla just like you. And um, and they haven't ordered in 180 days. Why don't we tell them that we have coconut and vanilla on sale or that we're launching a new coconut and vanilla body wash or something to that effect? And so um, really love that segmentation and that ability to uh, text people in a way that's not like spammy. Um, and I've really loved working with the Postscript team. Besides being a guest on some of the best podcasts in the world, what type of content production are you planning for your specific audience in the upcoming months so that we can continue to learn from your amazing ride to success? One, uh, I feel like I'm super. I'm getting super active on Twitter and Instagram. I, I, I love if people follow me. I'm at Moise Ali, um, and, and then I'm actually interviewing a bunch of other e-commerce entrepreneurs um, uh, for uh, where I'm guest hosting a podcast for the Hustle, um, and I'm really excited about that. It's going to launch in early to mid April. Um, you know, one of my early guests is going to be our one of the investors that we had in our business. His name's Nick Green. He's the founder of Thrive Market. Ooh. He was a real inspiration for the business. Have you heard of Thrive Market? Oh yeah, big time. They're they're great human beings. Sort of bringing the Whole Foods and Costco model online. Um, he was a real inspiration for the business, and always like um, one of the rare guys that I would call whenever something was going wrong. Uh, I, I feel like uh, for myself when I was running my when I was running Native, I was always very emotional and. Um, you know, sort of excited about the business. And he was a person I would call to sort of calm down and have a rational look at the business. And, you know, he was one of those types of guys where if you called him, he'd pick up on the first ring and he was really phenomenal. Um, so I'm excited to start like uh, the podcast series with him. Fire Nation, Moyes moving into the podcasting world. Watch out and definitely be on the lookout for one that drops because obviously this guy's dropping great content. He's had great success. And he's connected with some really great people. So, Moise, 
Let's just do the one big value bomb. What is one thing you really want to make sure Fire Nation gets from all the awesomeness that we talked about today? Any call to action you want to give to our audience to learn more about you? And uh, then we'll say goodbye. Okay, sounds great. Um, yeah, call to action. Please follow me at Twitter. I'm at Moise Ali. On Instagram, I'm at Moise.r.ali. Um, and and from, a, uh, from an advice perspective, I would say uh, be as frugal as possible and like really wear that as a badge rather than like uh, as a badge of honor rather than letting that be shameful. Uh, you know, at Native, we never paid for office space until the month we sold the business. Uh, we had eight employees when we sold the business. We uh, we started the website and grew it on WooCommerce, which is a free WordPress e-commerce uh, plugin. Like, don't be ashamed of being frugal. Wear it as a badge of honor. It's how you build a really successful business. Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And hello, you've been hanging out with MA and JLD today. So keep up the heat and head over to eofire.com. Type Moise, that's M-O-I-Z, in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with links to everything that we've been talking about today, as well as all the great stuff that he has coming up. Of course, take those calls to action that he just shared and make sure you keep consuming this great content. And Moise, thank you, brother, for sharing your truth, your value your knowledge your experience with fire nation today for that we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side thanks so much for having me stay safe hey fire nation today's value bomb content was brought to you by moise and fire nation i've created a treasure trove of free courses for you i teach you how to podcast run a mastermind create funnels that actually convert and so much more and they're all free all you need to do is visit eofire.com slash resources to start learning today. I'll catch you there, Fire Nation, or I'll catch you on the flip side. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase their profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Schedule your free consultation today with Clay Clark at thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. Thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. Don't believe you can actually love what you do for work? Oh, you can. And my good friends and top marketing experts, Nick Unsworth and Brian Delaney will show you how. Get instant access to their 90-minute training plus seven-figure playbook and resources on how to turn your passion into a profitable business at launchandscalenow.com.